Well, good morning. Thank you, Kennedy. Um, as Kennedy mentioned, we're continuing on in a series that's just started. And this morning, the elders have asked me to talk about the call of Jesus. What is it that Jesus calls someone who wants to come into relationship with him to? What is the call of Jesus for anyone who wants to be in relationship with him and experience all of the blessings that come with relationship to Jesus? What does a relationship to Jesus look like? How does it begin? What is his call? going to start by sharing a couple of scenes from my life. One from when I was in high school, and I'm at that stage where I don't really want to admit how long ago that was, But and one from right now. So when I was in high school, um, I had come to a decision to, to, to be a follower of Jesus when I was 11, and, and I had some really people who really poured into my life, and When I was in high school, I was really starting to grow, much like I see happening in the lives of some of our young men here. And so when I was at school and I had friends, several of them, who were very public about calling themselves Christians. And on Wednesday night, I had a particular friend who I was pretty close to. His name was Gary, and he was a talented musician. So on Wednesday night, he'd be up in front of of the Young Life group leading worship. On Sunday night, he'd be at his church youth group, up front, leading worship to Jesus. But everyone knew where Gary was on Friday night and what he was doing. Everyone knew that on Friday night, Gary was at whatever party he could find, getting sloppy drunk and looking for a way to sneak off with his girlfriend to have sex with her. And I have to tell you, that was horrible. As a teenage guy, I was reading my Bible and that was confusing to me. I was burdened by that. I couldn't understand it. That kind of a Christian from what I was reading in my Bible was a unicorn. That was a mythical creature that did not exist in reality. Now today, let's fast forward to today. Jason gave me a book a few years ago, and in the first chapter of that book, it's, it's uh, You Lost Me, I think is the title. And it's about how so many of our teenagers, as they come out of high school and go into their young adult years, leave the church. 61% surveys in recent years say 61% of teens who were actively involved in a church, in a youth group, many have grown up in a church, most of which have made a profession of faith, five years after they turn 18, will have completely checked out of the church and have no relationship at all with the church. And most of them will never go back. I'm involved in youth ministry, and that brings tears to my eyes. That's frightening. Six out of ten of you guys. Lord willing, not you guys. But think about that. How can that be? And you know, there's a lot of things. We can't find a singular cause of these kind of things. But I bring those illustrations up because I think what we're going to talk about this morning sheds some light 
and might sort out some of the confusion about why that's happening. Why those two situations exist. Now we've started this new series and we're going to take a look at Jesus' call. Very simple and clear in Matthew 4 verse 39. But I want to give a little more um, uh, context here. So we're going to read the broader context. So we're going to look at some other scriptures. Because fortunately as we think about the call of Jesus, the Bible has... A number of different scenes all through the Gospels, even through the book of Acts and even even in the epistles. They talk about Jesus and what his message was. We talk, we see scenes of where Jesus is telling people what it means. He's calling people to relationship with him. And it gives us a definition of this whole thing of what is a disciple. It's a great, great mission part of our mission that the elders have have keep pointing us to. We want to be disciples who are making disciples. But if we're going to be disciples ourselves and if we're going to make disciples, we have to know what a disciple is. And Jesus' call gives us a very clear definition of what a disciple is. So let's read. If you want to open your Bible, Matthew 4, I will get the clicker out of my pocket and move us on. It's on the screen if you want to read it there. Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 19 is the condensation, the simple calling of Jesus. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And we're going to spend a little time parsing out the words and the phrases of this so that we can really have an understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We see three aspects, three parts to this call. And it reveals three aspects of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The first one is that to follow Christ, or to be a disciple of Christ, means that we're following Jesus. It means we're in relationship with him and submitting to his authority. Being a disciple of Jesus means following Jesus. It's interesting that when Jesus called these men to follow him, they willingly left their careers, their family, their possessions, their home. They trusted Jesus enough that it overcame any fears about leaving all that stuff behind and following him. Somehow, they had already come to an understanding that he was trustworthy. They could follow him. They could trust him with their life. And it would be a safe thing to do. For these men to, to follow Jesus, it made a relationship that was every day. They went where he went. They did what he did. They listened to his teaching. They called him master. They submitted to the authority, to his authority in their life. And you know what? Jesus' call hasn't changed. 
Jesus' call to those who want to have a relationship was the same. He wants the same for us. He wants us to follow him every day, all the time. He wants a relationship with with us that allows him to influence every area of our life. It's interesting that when we read the context there, it tells us that just before he called these four men who left everything and followed him, just before he said, come, follow me, it tells us that he started preaching and his message was repentance. That's fascinating. That's interesting. He's running around preaching, and then when he starts calling individuals to respond to him, he says, follow me. Makes sense because repentance, biblical repentance, means to turn away from sin. And the definition of sin is my heart believing and therefore acting as if I can be my own God. It's me thinking, I don't need God. I can decide for myself what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, what will bring me fulfillment and purpose, and even how I can make myself good enough to get to heaven. And so following, making a decision to follow Jesus has to be rooted in repentance. I have to decide I don't want to trust myself anymore. I'm not God. I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what repentance, biblically speaking, is it is turning away from thinking I can be my own God and saying, no, Jesus of worthy is worthy of me trusting him and following him. Repentance leads to a decision to follow Jesus. You know, I want to we don't have time to, 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 to look at a lot of them, but I just want to look at just a few scriptures that help to make this point that an essential ingredient And true saving faith is repentance that results in a willingness to follow Jesus. Look at look at these scriptures, and I'm just going to read them quick. And just look at the key the key words and phrases. Peter said to them, so Peter's preaching. This is his gospel: Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Acts three nineteen. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 11.18, they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Mark 1.4, John the Baptist, what was his message as he was preparing the way for Christ to come? His message was repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what he preached. Luke 24, words of Jesus. Jesus said to them, his disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. If there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. And you say, well, I thought the Bible just says we believe in Jesus, we receive Jesus. Yes, but this is helping us understand what that means. If faith leads to forgiveness and repentance leads to forgiveness the two are inseparable the two are in a sense synonyms for each other Um, we're called here to follow Jesus if we want to experience forgiveness 
Now, Jesus makes this point that the core of a decision of faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus, is a decision to follow him. We see it in a scene, and there's lots of them we could go to, but this is one of my favorites, one of the clearest. In Mark 10, some of you remember there's a scene of Jesus encountering a, a rich a guy that's described as a rich young ruler. He's, he's, a, he's a young man, a very religious man, and he comes to Jesus with a question. His question is this. Good teacher, he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy had some things right. He understood that if he wanted eternal life, Jesus was the guy to go to. So he he had some foundational understanding. He seemed to know that. And he wanted eternal life. He wanted something good. And Jesus responds, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So before Jesus answers this question, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus needs to make sure of something. He needs to make sure this guy understands who he is. He needs to make sure that this guy gets that he's God in the flesh. And he needs to be responded to as God. If you're going to call me good, you need to understand you're you're admitting that I'm God. And then he goes on to answer the question. But first there's a little dialogue. The guy says, well, you know, he wants Jesus to know how moral he is, how good he is, how, how, how faithful he has been his whole life to keeping the commandments of God since he was a young boy. I've kept them all. I've kept all the laws, he says. And Jesus finally answers his question. And this is what Jesus says to him about how to inherit eternal life. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That was Jesus' answer to how do I inherit eternal life? What was the one thing he was lacking? Was it, oh, I just need to do, you know, something bigger, more benevolent, more good. I just, was Jesus telling him, go sell all your, go sell all your riches because you just, you just haven't done quite enough good stuff. No, Jesus wasn't saying that at all. Jesus' answer was, come follow me. Why did he tell him to go sell his riches and give it to the poor? All he was doing was helping the guy see that he wasn't ready to follow him. That's all that was about. That wasn't going to do anything to get him to heaven. He was just helping the guy understand that he wasn't ready to surrender himself to Jesus, to trust Jesus, to do what the disciples did do and leave it all if necessary to follow Jesus. God doesn't ask everyone to do that. and In fact, he generally doesn't. And I don't really think it was important for this man. The point was he was helping him see he wasn't willing to follow him. Now that's a different answer, isn't it? Than we often hear and tell each other and tell people about how to have a relationship with Jesus, how to inherit eternal life. I wonder how this guy would have responded if Jesus had given the common answer that we give I'm not indicting anybody. I have done this. But just hear me out. What if Jesus had said to this man, what you need to do is you just need to reach out and accept 
the offer of the free gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven that I'm offering you. You just need to stop trying to earn it. You just need to accept the gift. I'm offering you a free gift and you just need to reach out and accept the gift. I wonder how he would have, would have responded. And, and, and that presentation of the gospel is rampant in the Christian community. And I need to please share with you there are serious problems with that gospel. First, there's nowhere in Scripture that I've been able to find, and please come to me if I'm wrong about this, but there is nowhere in Scripture where we are encouraged or called to accept the free gift of God. As far as I can tell, that verse doesn't exist. Yes, salvation is described as a free gift. We don't earn it. It is given to us. We don't deserve it. It is free. It is given to us. That is true about the gift. But nowhere are we called to accept the gift. What are we called to? We are called to accept Jesus. We are called to receive Him. We are called to believe in Him. And what the Bible teaches is that when we do that, we are given the free gift. But because we are unintentionally careless about how we present the call of Jesus, how we present the gospel, we can give people the impression that they can have the gift and not want the giver. And that is a lie. Pardon my animation, but it grieves me. That is a lie. That is not true from the Scriptures. You cannot have the free gift and accept the free gift and not want the giver. And not respond to the giver in the way that he calls us to respond. Which is, come, follow me. When we do that, when we come to him, we are given just a few verses that make this point. I could fill screens full of them. But some that you're familiar with, John 1.12. To all who received him, Jesus who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children. You receive Jesus and you're given status as a child of God and all the free gifts that come with that. All the free grace of God. But you don't accept the gift. You accept Jesus. You receive him and you're given it. Acts 10.43 Everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. Acts 16.31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. It's all very clear. When we accept Jesus, we are given the free gift of salvation. You might say, but what's the difference? There's a huge difference. I can want and accept a free gift from God without ever thinking about whether I am willing to repent and turn away from my sins to become a follower of Jesus. If Jesus is off, if God is offering me a free gift, and all I gotta do is believe Jesus died on the cross, so that's how He can give me this free gift. 
If that's all that's involved, that doesn't require any repentance or any desire to become a follower of Jesus. It doesn't lead there. Biblical repentance is far more than just a recognition that I need to be forgiven. That I need to be spared the consequences of all that I've done. That's not repentance. That's simply a desire to be spared the judgment and consequences of my sin. You know what Gary's answer to me was? I finally got the courage up to go and talk to my friend who who said he was a Christian and yet seemed to have no evidence of any desire or any power in his life to live how Jesus was calling him to live. And do you know what his answer was? Hey, Jesus died for my sins and I believe that. And I've accepted God's free gift of forgiveness of sins. I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and you need to stop judging me. That's what he said to me. You know, it's an appropriate question to ask, why would anybody want to surrender themselves to Jesus? Why would anybody want to become a follower of Jesus? You know, if somebody is selfish and a tyrant, I don't want to follow them. Right? Nobody wants to surrender somebody who's selfish and a tyrant. And this is why it becomes so important as we share the call of Jesus to come follow me, that we make sure that we preach the cross to people, that we help them see who he is, help them see what he's done, help them see what he can give them when they respond to him. The, the Jesus' death and resurrection reveals the loving, merciful, forgiving Kind, generous, righteous, powerful Jesus that is worthy of my trust. That is worthy of me surrendering to Him. Who, who has proven by His sacrifice of Himself for me that He can be trusted with everything in my life. And so we have got to present Jesus and help people understand who He is. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is proof that he will always do what is best for me, even if it is at great cost to him. When a person begins to understand the truth about Jesus, who he is, it makes perfect sense to willingly trust and follow him. And Paul in the book of Romans makes this point. Romans Chapter 2, verse 4 says this, God's kindness, His grace, is meant to lead you to repentance. If we present Jesus and all that He has done for us, as Scott so wonderfully reminded us this morning, this one who loves us so much that He would sacrifice Himself, pay a price that is unimaginable, to buy us back from our sins so that we can be brought back into relationship with this God, that all these things are true about Him, and that's a very short list. It could be much, much longer. 
This is a God who we should be running to, wanting to follow, wanting to trust with our life. And so we need to help people see that. We need to preach the grace of God and the cross of Jesus because that is a God who is worth surrendering myself to. That is a Savior who is worth following and trusting with my life. So, we have seen here that a true disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. Let's move on to a second thing that Jesus' call reveals to us about a true disciple. A true disciple of Jesus is someone who is being changed. They're on the screen number two. Being changed by Jesus because they're spending time with him and through Bible study and prayer and I would add fellowship with other believers. Jesus is working in their life to change them. Now, one of the things that's true of of, of this process of change is that it will never ever start unless the first aspect of discipleship. Jesus cannot and will not change someone who has not first made a decision to follow him. You can't make a disciple out of someone who has never made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. That is foundational. The change will not come. Oh, this is enlightening, isn't it? Thinking back to my original story. The change is will not come in the life of someone who has never repented and decided that Jesus is worthy of being followed. And I want to follow him. And I want him to change me. I need him to change me. If a person is not there, then no wonder there's no change happening in their life because that's the foundation. That's first. There's a progression here. First, we become a follower. Then he begins to change us. And then we share in his mission. That's the progression here. The other thing we need to know about this this change, this promise of change, he says, I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make you something different than you are, is that it's a process. You know, while we're here on earth, it's a process. Philippians 1, 6 tells us that he who began a good work in you, so it begins when we decide we want to be a follower of Christ, and we tell him that. And it is carry it, he will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So it begins, it's carried on a process, and then it's completed. When we get to heaven, the process will be done. No more sin in our life. No more need for a change of our character. We will be completely transformed, and we will share in the righteousness of Christ. Not just uh, declared righteous. But, but practically speaking, righteous, no more sin. But while we're here on earth, it's a process of change that he works and he brings in our life. Now, I think another thing we need to understand is how wonderful this change is. People say, well, I'm not sure I want to change. What is he going to do with me? Why would I surrender myself to somebody when there's so much uncertainty about what he wants to change? I don't know if I want to. And it's true that when we come to Jesus, we don't, we don't fully understand what he's going to want to, want to do with us. We don't fully understand who he is. We've got a, it's a lifelong endeavor. I feel like there's so much more that I, 
I have no idea the depths of who Christ is and the depths of the sin he still wants to weed out of my life. So, yes, we don't understand. But until that foundational thing uh, of, of, of choosing, I do need to be changed, I want to be changed, and I want to follow him happens, then these wonderful things begin to change. So what does he want to change? Well, one of the things is that he wants to make you, those are the words from the verse, I will make you. He wants to make you a new person that is progressively more and more like Jesus. He wants to make you a person who will, as time passes, experience more and more victory over the destructive patterns of sin that you battle with in your life. Over time, he wants you to have less of a struggle with selfishness, less anger in your life, less pride, less unforgiveness, less lust. Name a sin, whatever it is that you struggle with, it's bringing destruction into your life because sin does that. It destroys and brings pain to you and those around you. It destroys relationships. Name a sin. And Jesus is able to to deliver you from slavery to that. He is able to begin working to change you and give you victory so that sin has less and less influence on your life and your relationships. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Another thing that Jesus wants to change is that he wants to change you so that you will exhibit more and more of the fruit of the Spirit. Wow, that's cool. Less and less sin and more and more of the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to make you increasingly loving. He wants to give you increasing joy, increasing peace. He wants to make you kind and gentle and self-controlled and faithful in all the things, patient. He wants to give you these fruits and build them into your life. These are the changes he wants to make. Can you imagine how different life would be if our life was full of the fruit of the Spirit? How different our relationships would be? How wonderful would that be? Jesus' plan to make you something different than you are before you come to him, is a good one. It is one you should be excited about. It is one that you should run to. It is one that you should rejoice in. And we need to present that to people, that this is a good God who has a good plan for you. He wants wonderful things for you, and he is able to do it because he is God. He created you. He is God who has proved his love for you and he can be trusted and he is up to the task. Now, this process of change can happen really quickly or it can happen slowly. It's about us choosing to surrender to him, to yield to him, to to plug in to the resources that he has provided us to bring about the change Spending time in his word so he can, he, he, he can input into our heart and our mind. Spending time dialoguing with him in prayer. Spending time with other believers that he can use. The process of change happens as we yield to those things. Third, third aspect of discipleship. A true disciple of Jesus is committed, is, is committed to the mission of Jesus. You know, as a believer in 
follower in Jesus, we experience all these blessings that we've been talking about. We've, we've been given forgiveness of sins. Knowing that brings joy. We've experienced the peace that comes from knowing that we're an adopted child of God, that there's no more condemnation for us because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We, we can experience the hope of knowing that God's power is at work in us and we are not hopelessly enslaved to sin. There is power for change. We can have the hope of knowing that we have an eternal home in heaven, that the process of change is going to be completely finished and there'll be no more sin. All of these things we could go on and on, right? You could go to Ephesians 1 and make a lot longer list of the blessings that we inherit as we receive Christ. In Him, we have all these things. This is a very, very short list. When we've experienced those things, doesn't it give you a passion and a desire to share that with somebody else? God gives us love. One of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Not just for Him, but for other people too. And if I love other people, I want them to have Jesus in their life. I want them to experience these blessings. And so... When we're a follower of Jesus, his call is that he's going to make us into a different person. And that's going to result in us wanting to share in his mission of sharing the good news of what relationship with him brings into a person's life. And we are going to be out there as fishers of men. I want to remind us that very quickly in the end here that we're going to have different responses. As we're out there as fishers of men sharing about Jesus, calling people as he did to see how gracious and good and kind and loving and merciful he is, how worthy he is of our surrendering to him, following him. As we're out there doing that, we're going to get different responses. Sherry and I were for the first time in a long time able to go counsel out at Eagle Fern together this year. And she had some encounters and I had some encounters that were very intense and in a lot of ways very exciting and for me in some ways some sad ones. Sherry had two different girls. One was a girl who lived in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, was involved in her youth group at least from time to time and and probably her parents or teachers or friends all assumed that she was a Christian but she'd gotten involved in some occult stuff and she had significant, significant demonic activity going on in her life. Even at camp, the demons were speaking to her at night saying, don't listen to what you're hearing here at camp. They were promising her that if they would listen to them and follow them, they would give her power and prestige. And I remember one morning, Matthew and I were having some time together, and 30 feet away from us, Sherry and this young lady were sitting. Actually, they weren't sitting a lot of the time. They were up and down. They, they, they were weeping together. They were hugging each other. There was yelling going. There was a spiritual battle going on to, as she was struggling with who she was going to follow. And, and Sherry said, you've got a choice. You can follow these demons who are liars, who hate you, whose goal is destruction for your life, both here, but more importantly, for eternity, they want to keep you away from the love of God and relationship with Him. Or, you can follow Jesus, who has proved how much He loves you, 
who is the only one who can deliver you from your sins and who can change you and prepare you to live in the heaven where there'll be no sin. You can decide. you got a choice here. And I think it was maybe the next day or maybe two days later, this young lady came to Sherry with a smile on her face and said, I just want you to know that I made the right decision about who I'm going to follow with my life. She got it. She understood what what Jesus was calling her to. Another young lady, and I won't say her name, and just generally speaking, we, we had the joy of watching a young lady from our youth group here make a decision for Christ out at camp. And for months, as she came to youth group, there were tons and tons of seeds planted, and she learned a lot about Jesus. But out at camp, she came to a realization that she was ready to give herself to him. And the thing that filled my heart with joy was on Saturday when the parents were coming out, Kristen Thiem showed up uh, to pick her kids up and probably some others that she was taking home. And she was saying to this young lady, how was your week at camp? And Sherry and I were standing there and Sherry spoke up and said, uh, hey, do you want to tell Kristen what happened this week? Kristen said, what happened this week? And you know what her answer was? This week, I became a follower of Jesus. It wasn't I accepted the free gift that Jesus has to offer. Oh, she knew what that meant. She knew the ramifications of following Jesus was that he alone could provide forgiveness of sins and eternal life. She knew that. She'd been hearing that for months. Now, I just, I had a couple of, just briefly, I had a couple of late night encounters with a couple of young men on the final on it Friday night. And the second one lasted till about 2 a.m. with a young guy who had a ton of demonic activity going on in his life too. And same thing, I invited him to make a choice. And sadly, both of those young men, based on all that they had heard that week, they got it. They understood that becoming a Christian meant that they made, needed to make a decision to follow Jesus. And neither one of them, sadly, was yet ready to do that. Close. I'm praying for them, and I invite you to pray for them. Ryan and Dee, if you want names, pray for them. But they understood, and they weren't ready. But I wonder... What would have happened if I had told them, oh, God is offering you a free gift of forgiveness of sins and salvation, eternal life, home in heaven. All you have to do is reach out and accept the free gift that that God is offering you. I wonder if there would have been a different thing. It's not the gospel of the Bible. And we give people a false impression that they're a Christian And no wonder there are so many Christians out there. I can't see into anybody's heart. I don't know. It's not my job. It's God's job to decide who is and who isn't. But when we present the gospel in ways that mislead people, we end up with a lot of people 
who have no desire to follow Jesus and no power to follow Jesus because they never decided they wanted to follow Jesus. And we end up with a lot of people who call themselves Christians who can just completely walk away from it and never come back. And it's confusing to us, but it shouldn't be. I don't have time to go there, but 1 Corinthians talks about this. They went out from you because they were never of you. Oh, they tasted of the grace. They were around the grace community and they saw what, what the grace of God could do, but they never really responded it, to it appropriately themselves. They never understood the call of Jesus and never actually experienced the grace themselves. They tasted it in the lives of other people. So, different responses. Quick three encouragements. First, I want to encourage us as individual Christians and as a church to be careful to make our gospel and our call to come into relationship with Jesus, make it the same as his call. Let's follow his example. Let's call people to follow Jesus and let's present him for who he is as this incredible loving savior so that they want to follow him. So they feel safe. It's the safest, most blessed path anybody could choose. Let's help them see that by helping them see Jesus. Second, if, if, lost my place here. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you to lean in. Lead in. Let him work that process of change in your life, that wonderful plan of change. Embrace it. Passionately desire it. And run to his word. Run to dialogue with him in prayer. Run to spend time with other Christians who he can use to bring that process of change, to move it forward quickly. Be a disciple who is wholehearted, not half-hearted in how you respond in following Jesus. And finally, there might be some of you here who the lights are going on and you're saying, oh, that's why I don't have that desire in my heart to live a certain way. That's why I don't see the, any power in my life. That's why I'm not really that interested in what, the Bible, what Jesus has to say to me in the Bible. Maybe you pray to prayer sometime, but you never really understood that coming into relationship with Jesus, a faith relationship with him, believing in him, means that my heart reaches a point of repentance. Where the desire of my heart is to get off the throne of my own life, stop trying to be my own God, and follow him. Maybe you never understood that. Maybe for the first time you're seeing that. And you're suddenly realizing, oh my goodness, maybe I'm not actually a Christian. And if you're struggling with that and you need somebody to talk to, I'd love to talk to any of you and I'll I'll, I'll hang around for a while. And if... Find an elder, find someone you came with that you trust and don't leave that hanging. Come to Jesus. Choose to follow him. He is worthy of your trust and he is able to give you all those free gifts that we so desperately need. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful. We love you. We trust you. And you are worthy of our trust. 
Help us, Lord. Use us in this process of being fishers of men and help us, Lord, to be faithful as we present your call to the people around us who need a relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to this wonderful plan of change that you have in our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you, help them to decide right now, today, to follow you and to experience all the blessings that come with receiving you. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.